Well, here I am. I still don't really think I know how to do this. Maybe because, for me, there never really was a right way. There is only my way. So in that sense, perhaps I know exactly how to do this. Hmm. This is nice. I'm so happy to be speaking to you. It's been so long since I've spoken to anyone. Do you know what? In all things, I think one must have persistence. One must have resilience. One must not be afraid to try and try again. And so, I am trying again, I suppose. You cannot plant a seed and expect a tree in a day. You must wait. Patiently. Close your eyes. Rest. Listen. Wait. Soon, there will be green all around you. That's the case with me. I am surrounded by green. Grass, trees, flowers, life. And, do you know what? It is not dying. Rather, it is thriving. Grass used to die beneath my feet wherever I stepped. Children would scream. Dogs would whimper. Flowers would wither and die. No longer. I keep looking for my old hands. I keep seeking my claws. They are not there. There are, instead, muddy and coarse hands that cannot seem to get clean or soft. My nails are chipped and short and filthy. Split down the center, some of them. I would say bloody, but I cannot see blood. I only see dirt and grass. I keep trying to touch my fangs with my tongue. But they're not there. They are not sharp. They are... They are no longer carnivorous. They are strong and dull. They are herbivorous teeth. My wings. No, best not to think of what I'm missing without them. But they are gone indeed. Long gone. Why is there grass in my hair? Why is there blood in my lips? I used to be so cold, always so cold, and yet I never even felt the chill. But now I'm positively boiling. It's the summer, yes, and it is so hot. The air is so thick, I smell dirt and grass and fire somewhere. Why fire? Perhaps that's a mystery for another time. I have changed, haven't I? 
I think in the first 100 episodes of my story, my life revolved around the sky. The sea. Places above and places below. I needed to get to the one or to the other. But now, now I am here. I am here with you on Earth. No longer shrouded in shadow and flying on the wind. I am walking, feet on the ground. I looked for you. I've been looking for you. All of you. Where did you go? Oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. I didn't forget. I could never forget. It's more that I just have trouble letting go of the past. Of what the world was before this. I have a story for you. I used to tell you stories, didn't I? I will tell you more. By the way, I should let you know, I said earlier that I'm not quite sure how to do this. I was never sure. That hasn't changed. But I have figured out a new plan this time. I thought and I thought and I thought. And I think I thought of a solution. In my first 100 episodes, I explored the idea of telling my own story through the major arcana of the tarot deck. But I can tell other stories that way, too. And so, every week, I shall draw one card from the deck. Major arcana, minor arcana, it doesn't matter. Even if it's a card I've drawn before. This card will serve to help me decide which story to tell you. What kind of story I think the cards call for each week. So this week, I drew strength. Seems appropriate, really. Strength is not about overt victory, not like the chariot. It is not about open conquest, it is about inner courage. Quiet courage. Calm in the face of a storm. Influence and persuasion rather than control. Using one's invisibility to gain the upper hand and succeed. The ability to bide one's time and wait for the right moment to use one's power and show one's inner strength. And most importantly, the strength of compassion. This week I have a story for you that begins with invisibility and ends with compassion. Let me into your home. Let me onto your phone, onto your computer, through your headphones ringing out into a speaker. Let me in, and I shall tell you a story. Now listen, this story is about a tower, and it is about a girl, but it is not that tower, and it is not that girl. I mean, it can be, I suppose, but for our purposes, I want you to not worry about that other girl and that other tower right now. Just listen. There was once a girl who found a tower.
She hadn't always been there, however. No. No. What was she before? Was she a princess? Was she a warrior? Was she a witch? Was she a monster? No. She was a farmer. She had a little farm that she inherited. Though she worked the farm by herself, for her family had long since passed, and it was sad, but life went on as life always will. She was known in town, and she was loved. For in a small place where people have nothing but each other, we are perhaps more quick to know and to love. She worked hard, and she slept well, and she saw smiling faces every day that greeted her with joy and welcome. She often had friends over for tea, or perhaps she would spend an evening in the tavern with as many people as she could. Sometimes she would simply walk the streets to wave hello to the other townspeople, or to bring them a bouquet of wild flowers from her land. Of course she had her differences with some people, and they with her for whatever small and petty reason people sometimes find themselves at odds with each other. But that is a very little concern in the grand scheme of things. What can I say? Other than that, for her, life was good. Sometimes it was bad, and sometimes it was great. But most of the time, it was good. And so we shall say that life was good. Her, and her farm, and her people. There were signs. Hints of what was to come. Little things at first, like birds, more of them than usual flying frantically overhead in the sky during the day. The wolves in the woods howling more loudly at night. But worse than that was when it stopped. She should have seen it coming, but... How can anyone truly see something like what she was about to experience coming? One day, altogether, it all stopped. The birds were simply gone. The wolves were gone. The farm was silent. And so, she walked into town to perhaps speak to others and discover whether or not they had experienced the same thing. But everyone was gone. No one was out in their yard. No one sat in the tavern. Children didn't play in the streets. No one said hello. No one bickered with her. No one did a thing. For there was no one there. Ah, it is so difficult to recall in this new form. But I do recall, vaguely, feeling this way at one point or another or perhaps at several points in my very long or very short life. Our poor, confused farmer went from door to door, knocking desperate for someone to open their door and explain to her what had happened, what was going on, why the town was silent. But no one did. Not so much as a peep from within. Everyone was gone. And it was, it was for some reason, horrific. Even though the sun was shining and the trees were green, the silence was devastating. 
Hours and hours passed. After she had pounded her fists against every door in town, she walked down the main road that would lead eventually to other places. Other towns, she hoped. She knew the wise thing to do was to return home to her crops and her rough but pleasant straw bed. The sun was setting and the road would be dangerous soon. But would it? After all, the wolves were gone. The people were gone. What would hurt her? Well, as the sun did indeed begin to set, as it must, she began to get a very good idea of what could hurt her out here. The sky grew dark. Even the lack of crickets chirping was a brutal loss to her, even if she didn't realize it at the time. She stopped walking. She didn't hear anything behind her, but she knew it was there. Watching her. Stalking her. Waiting. She slowly turned her head over her shoulder. And there they were, in the shadows. Two red eyes burning in the night. Unblinking. Unfeeling. Not human, but not animal, either. They were enormous, too. Too big to belong to a person or to a wolf or to anything she had seen before. She couldn't see the face that the eyes were set in. It was too dark, the world was too dark for her to tell. The huge eyes must have been placed in a huge skull, far apart from one another, from what she could tell. So it was something that walked on four legs, you see. And yet, on those four legs, it still towered above her. She didn't move. She had her eyes fixed on the thing, marveling at its size and too afraid to run. That is, until she heard the rumble of its growl, shaking the very ground beneath her feet. That is when she ran. She took off as fast as her exhausted feet could carry her, following the road as best she could, though in the growing darkness she couldn't quite be sure. The moon was a little less than full, so it thankfully provided her with a little light. If her eyes had been on anything other than what lay immediately ahead of her, the moonlight would have alerted her to a structure up ahead a narrow yet tall stone tower. The moonlight glinted off its highest point, yet she could not see it. So terrified she was, and so desperately she ran. She did not realize that the thing that pursued, gaining steadily on her, was indirectly guiding her to that very structure. In a matter of seconds she was in front of a large wooden door. She raised her fists and pounded against that wood, crying out for help. When she finally thought to reach down and try the knob, she didn't have the time to notice how it seemed perfectly suited to the precise shape of her hand. She was oblivious also to the strange fact that several enormous locks and bolts were installed on this door, but on the outside. She was grateful for the ease with which the door opened against her weight. She fell inside. 
The only content of the room in which she found herself was the base of a winding staircase. As she lay there in shock, she almost instantly felt a cool breeze skim the surface of her skin, and it was a blessing to her. The breeze swung the door shut instantly. She whispered a soft thanks to the wind for that. This surely will keep the thing that chases me out, she thought to herself. I am saved. This day had been so strange, so unbelievable already, so exhausting, and the chase had taken all she had left. She barely had time to take a large gasp of air when she could hear from outside the door the heavy tread of the thing's footsteps. She heard its heavy breath, and though she expected it to be wild and vicious, it was calm and steady. And eventually, the breath grew more and more faint, and she felt the ground rumbling beneath her. The thing had taken off again, its heavy steps falling against the dirt. Just as she went to the door to open it a little and check whether or not it had indeed left, she heard those immense deadbolts sliding into their place on the outside of the door. She was being locked in. She cried out, threw her body against the door, tried to kick it down. But it was no use. She didn't even know if anybody was, in fact, on the other side, but she kept screaming at them, realizing that she was now being held prisoner in this strange place. Torches suddenly lit themselves along the walls of the winding staircase. Come up. Come up. They called to her with their warm, flickering glow. So she did. The stairs seemed never to end. Step by step, she somehow found it in herself to keep lifting her feet, although her legs trembled and her vision blurred. She followed the orange glow of the torches, and a warm light spread down into the stairwell as she neared the top of the tower. Once there, she fell to her knees and tried not to weep for the aching in her bones and the gift of what was before her. There was a warm, roaring fire inside. There was a soft bed. There were chairs and tables and walls and walls of bookshelves all around her. She couldn't see it, but the cupboards and closets, of which there were several, had anything she could dream of that she might need. Though this space was one enormous room, it was the size of her little farmhouse. Her farm. Her crops. Her entire year's labor. It was all gone. The trips to the market, the praise of her customers, the drink at the tavern on Friday nights. But she was safe. She had her life. And she knew that she was so much more than a year of labor or the earnings from a crop yield. The knowledge of this was a bittersweet comfort. Everyone in town, she thought to herself. Where are they? Why did they disappear? 
She went to the window of which there was only one, but it looked out over miles and miles of land. She hadn't realized just how tall this tower was. She hadn't realized how long she had walked to arrive here. The sun was rising. And, as it did, she noticed a strange thing. It was another tower, in the distance, just like the one she was in. So high, of course. And it wasn't alone. The land was absolutely filled with these towers, so close to one another, and yet also very far. As her eyes darted from the towers down to the ground, she couldn't see much. She knew the thing was down there, and she could sometimes see its enormous shadowy form with its glowing red eyes weaving in and out of the trees, sniffing along the road, bounding and hunting. She couldn't see the ground near anyone else's tower, but from the rustling of the leaves and the shaking of the treetops, she realized that the land had been overrun. With what? She had no idea. She didn't know what these things were, what they wanted, or how she could defeat them. And then there was the question of the tower. What was this place? Who had put these here for them? This place, it looked so different from her own world that she had been used to, the world she had grown up in, the world she had loved. This felt like an entirely different time and place, a different world, or at least a world she had never seen before or thought possible. As this thought became almost too much to bear, she looked up to the sky again. As the waking sky turned from black to blue to orange and again to blue, she noticed something. There was a tiny little light flickering in a distant window. How strange. Even more strange when another nearby tower shined a little flickering light of its own in its window. And then another, and another. One by one, little lights were appearing in little windows in little towers everywhere. At first she was afraid. But then she noticed the little candlestick already waiting for her by the window. Waiting to be lit. And the little elegant tinder box beside it. A gift it was, a small favor, and a little blessing all at once. She lit the candle. So that's where everyone is. She was scared and she was confused and she was tired. But she was moved to smile to herself despite all of that because she realized that everyone was still with her, whoever they were. They were not gone. They were just... away. And one day the locks would crumble and fall away and turn to dust, along with those things prowling the earth. And she would walk out of this tower 
and look for all those other candles. But, until then, she picked a book off the shelf that looked pretty interesting, and she curled up in the warm, welcoming bed that was next to that warm, welcoming fire. And she began to read. I think... I know this story very well, I think. I must keep a watchful eye. I am in your world, on your earth, walking through your lands, but I am not a monstrous beast. In fact, I too must still be wary of monstrous beasts, so I cannot be one. Well, perhaps I can. Though I have changed since the last time you heard from me, I am still a frightening thing. I am just made up of more than shadow and death now. Now? I am the secret in the forest. I am the whisper of the wind. I am the call of the nightingale. How can that be monstrous? Even though my skin looks ever so slightly, barely noticeably, really, tinged with green. And even though my hair is a tangled mane with twigs and vines and weeds coming out of it. No. No, growing out of it. And even though my eyes are so yellow that they glow in the darkness, like a cat with a flashlight shining on it, always and always. How can that be monstrous? Well, regardless, I thank you deeply for joining me tonight. I hope that, however different I may seem to you, it is not so different that you feel I don't remember who I was or what I shared with you before. I remember it all. I remember everything. It is still me. I am still in the world. I am still longing for a way to find my way back to all of you. We will see. It is more important that we are all safe and careful. All of us. The farmer did find her way back to the world, by the way. Of course she did, because I know this story. The story was something that she and the townspeople she loved always held between them like a secret. In rare moments of discord or conflict amongst each other, an extra pause was taken often to remind each party of how their little candles in their little windows had pulled them through, and our little farmer's life returned to being sometimes bad and oftentimes great. Overall, very, very good. I'm very excited to say this again. Good night, my friends. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, everybody, and thank you so, so very much for joining me for episode 101, the very first episode of season two. This is Kristen Zaza. If you're new to the show, I am the writer, performer, composer, and entire crew behind On a Dark Cold Night. Coming back after having over three months off after the season one finale feels very strange, but very, very good. Since we're starting a new season, I have a few announcements to make. First, I'm extremely excited to share that On a Dark Cold Night is now a member of the Sonar Network. Please check them out at thesonarnetwork.com. I'm extremely grateful to them for taking an interest in my show, and I'm really excited to work with them. Next, I need to give so, so, so many thank yous. I had a really overwhelming outpouring of support in the way of reviews, write-ups, and contributions via Coffee and Patreon between Seasons 1 and 2, and that has really, really, really meant the world to me. I would like to thank the following Patreon users for becoming patrons of the show over the last three months. Thanks to Eric, who also bought me multiple coffees on Coffee.com. A big thank you to Sarah Rockwood, to Mandy White, to Foxfire the Witch, and Alex Kemp. I'd also like to thank the following people who supported me over coffee. So big thank you to Julie, to Jennifer and Howard, to Carrie Loriola, and three anonymous donors, one of whom donated 50 coffees. Like I said, I'm just blown away by your generosity, and please believe me when I say that I couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support the show financially like these awesome folks, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight where every patron receives exclusive access to my ever-evolving soundtrack of the show. You can also make a one-time contribution at coffee.com, that's ko-fi.com, where you can donate the price of however many coffees you want to the show. Find me there at ko-fi.com slash darkgoldnight. And finally, we do have t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also like to thank the following users for sharing their very kind words and five-star reviews of the show on iTunes. Thank you to SchnitzelPencil01234, Rennie A, Expensive Traffic, and Ali Panda Bears. I'm so happy to hear that you're enjoying my work, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share the word. Thank you. If you're out there listening and you're also enjoying the show, a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or our Facebook page would really go a long way. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast. And we also have a Facebook page and YouTube channel simply called on a dark cold night. This was a long episode, wasn't it? But it's been so long since I've spoken with you. It's been really, really wonderful being back here again like this. I hope you're staying safe out there, wherever you are. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Sending love out there to you, my friends. Good night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.